Talk Recorded live. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Fellow Adamites, we are seeing the cracks emerge in Babylon. We are seeing the cracks spread. I don't believe it will be too long now before we hear it. Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. And Yahweh willing, we shall all be there to witness it, and all the world shall bear witness to the power of Yahweh. If you have not begun to prepare for the things which are to come, the things which you are already starting to see happen, then you had best do so now. Now is the time to make preparations, gather supplies, make plans, and focus your efforts to keep on the straight and narrow path. Be right with the Heavenly Father, and He shall bring you through the plagues that await this doomed nation. Today is Sunday, December 6, 2009, and Bill Fink is joining us for Cultural Marxism in the Frankfurt School. How are you doing tonight, sir? Hello. Praise Yahweh. Yes, praise Yahweh. Thank you. And we, we can safely say that no longer does communism overtly present itself under the banner of from each according to his ability to each according to his need, they've sort of softened it up and they, they, they've shifted their focus from economics to culture and morality, knowing that if they can corrupt the people and turn them into degenerates, the economics and the politics will follow soon thereafter. Well, the economics is following right now with, with this beast we have in the White House. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, he already owns General Motors. Don't, doesn't the government own General Motors now? And, and, and a good chunk of all the banks? So basically, we're turning into a Marxist society before our very eyes. And through property tax, they basically own everything. We're basically just renting our home from them, aren't we? If we don't pay our property tax on something that supposedly is ours, they will come and seize it from us by force and throw us in prison. Right, absolutely. That's um, You know, there are many aspects to this war that's been fought against us, from, mm-hmm. from production taxes, all the hidden production taxes and property taxes and and the state taxes and, and and everything that they've incrementally put on us a little at a time since the Federal Reserve was founded. Well we're basically a um we're we're basically a Marxist country. That's why the wall came down. Absolutely. That's why the wall came down in what was it, ninety one or ninety two? I forget. I thought it was eighty nine when the wall it, came down. It may have been eighty nine. I don't know. It was somewhere around there. Ninety one was when the Soviet Union was formally dissolved. I was too busy trying to raise kids on in in this Bolshevik society. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's um the wall came down because we got like the east, not because the east suddenly um discovered freedom. That's the propaganda. Yeah, you know, that glasnost and all that, that's the propaganda. And and some good things did did come out of that. Well, like the opening up of the Soviet archives that that finally proved that the Holocaust was a fraud, but the media won't print it. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, revisionists have been saying it for years, but that the the Soviet archive opened Archives opening up, the documents came out that actually prove it. How, however, the media doesn't print anything about it. it it's incredible. And, and I've often said to my dad about the present Marxist economy that they attribute all of the failures and flaws of our nation and our economy to free market, free enterprise, and they blame constitutional Republican conservative values. Yet, we haven't been operating under those principles. We haven't been operating under those values. We've had Marxism masquerading itself as something other than Marxism. And as the solution, they offer socialism when basically we're already dying from strychnine and they're offering us more strychnine. And, and Rothschild-controlled capitalism, which is what <laughs> we really live under, is by no means free enterprise. Well, I'm not talking about capitalism. I mean genuine free enterprise, what we would have had, say, 150 years ago. Well, well, the thing is that most people think that Rothschild-controlled capitalism is genuine free enterprise. Mm-hmm. If you ask the average person in the street, 
He'll think that we live in a free enterprise society. He has no idea how his own economy is controlled. That there's no conception between it. You know, there's no there's no um, perceiving the difference between the two of them with, with the average American or, or the average European, for that matter. With genuine free enterprise, we wouldn't have to pay a premium to use our own money. Well, absolutely not. And and there wouldn't be a um, a, a a Jewish gangster cartel in London and and New York that has exclusive rights to counterfeit it and, mm -hmm. and sell it to us, basically. Basically, they have exclusive privileges to counterfeit money and sell it to us, and that's what we have to use. We have to use the money that they counterfeit and sell to us by law. That, that's what the Federal Reserve Act did. That's what it boils down to. It, it's a criminal enterprise that's given a legal license. And as we were discussing earlier about we being the Jewish problem in Germany, it seems as the Germans were getting rid of the Jewish problem, the Jews in this country were sinking their claws in even deeper. In fact, we inherited, or rather I should say that a lot of the garbage that Germany threw out washed up on our shores. Well, you know, I, I I don't have it. I don't have it yet, but I I have evidence. But I'm I'm still looking for the um, you know, an actual citation that Columbia University actually invited the Frankfurt School here. That the mm -hmm. Frankfurt School of of Social Studies mm -hmm. was was at Frankfurt University in Germany when they were unwelcome, and and the Germans um. But really disenfranchised their, their credentials, they actually were invited here by Columbia University. So, so there, there must have already been a sickness in Columbia University at, at the time, and and this was 1933 that they moved over here. And and we're going to, um, I think today we're going to present an, an overall view of the Frankfurt School and some of the things that they've done. And, and maybe get into it a little deeper next week with um, with, with Professor Kevin McDonald's work because he's done a a lot to deconstruct their philosophies and and reveal them for the evil that they truly are. Should I invite him on the program next weekend? Well, I I mean if you, if you could possibly get him on the program, you could invite him and and I'd sit out because um, he knows a hell of a lot more about the Frankfurt School than I do. I, I mean he's written. His his book, The Culture of Critique, is an entire study of it. And that, you know, that I can only the... probably put it in a better biblical perspective, but him being a um, – uh, I mean, the man has his faults. He does a lot of excellent work in, in the field of undue Jewish influences on Western civilization. Mm -hmm. Okay, he does a lot of excellent work there, but that's where he's limited. He's an evolutionist, and he's not a Christian. And it's not – his work is not in the context of Scripture. Well, well, absolutely not. He's an evolutionist, and, and he's not a Christian. Or the overall historical conspiracy. Does he really deal with that as much? Um, no, he doesn't, but he does understand the mechanizations of, of the Jews and, and, and the, um, the, the cultural wars battles here in, in America in, in this past century. And the, the culture of critique essentially gets right to the heart of critical theory that is crucial to the Frankfurt School, wouldn't you say that everything about the host society is open for critique or criticism, 
and they will look at the world through a lens whereby they are always the victim and the oppressor is always the targeted group in their host society, in this case, white Christians. Well, absolutely. And and McDonald did a lot of excellent work actually picking apart the philosophy, you know, the modern political philosophy of the devil, because that's what the Frankfurt School is. And and he actually picked it apart and and showed how it's destructive to Western society. But but he has a lot of problems because he he identifies he misidentifies the Jews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know they're they're the accursed people in society today, and they were the accursed people in society five thousand years ago. Well, they've been universally accursed everywhere they go, haven't they? They've been universally reviled. Well, absolutely. And and they've never built anything. But McDonald attributes the Old Testament to them. Yeah, you know, I guess he takes for granted that the religious scholars and, and religious theological academics of the modern age are correct in, in their identification of the parties of the Bible, and, and they're absolutely incorrect. And but McDonald doesn't go so far as to understand how the Jews... Uh, more or less subverted American and European religion. Yes, and I'd like to point out and condition my previous remark that the Jews have been universally reviled about a generation after they arrive in any given nation, that they're never hated immediately offhand without cause. Usually they're warmly welcomed into a nation. They come in as victims, refugees, or people that are just down in their luck and destitute, or sometimes they come in when the nation is in, in turmoil and chaos. Or they, they eased their way in as as merchants, which, which they did, which they did in much of Europe in the Middle Ages. Or they inculcate themselves to some noble, and they come in as a court Jew. But then, within about a generation, everybody hates them. Hmm. And if they don't hate them, and if they're not lobbying against them, within another generation, their country's wrecked. They they usually became the court Jews in the Middle Ages because of, of their ability to. Um, to accumulate capital to loan to the noble noble classes, or their ability to deceive the noble classes with their pharmaceuticals, their sorceries, or or just um, when they couldn't do any of that, they were usually the court jesters also. Mm-hmm. I'd like to start um, examining the Frankfurt School, and, and I'm going to read from a website that it, it's really like a mainstream conservative website that they're into. Um, you know, Jonah Goldberg and, and David Horowitz books. And, and the Jews love to tell on themselves all the time anyway. But but this is um, – it, it's actually a pretty good summation of the Frankfurt School. And, and I'm not going to read the entire article because I think Linda Kimball did a better overview. However, this introduction is pretty good. It, it's by Gary Starr, and it was written in February of 2007 for a website called the NevilleAwards.com. And, and Neville Awards, N-E-V-I-L-L-E Awards dot com. It's, it's this, uh, I don't know, it's some kind of mainstream conservative type website. And the name of the article is The Frankfurt School, The New Left, Cultural Self-Loathing, and the Psychosis of Multiculturalism. And bear in mind that this is what Adolf Hitler expelled from Nazi Germany. That's why this is important. This is what Adolf Hitler stood against in Nazi Germany and we embraced it, accepted it here, and then we proceeded to join with Bolshevik communist Russia to destroy Christian Germany. 
Okay, so once once you see this disease that we caught that Hitler wanted to get rid of, you'll understand that there's no way Hitler was a Jew. He he was a great defender of Christian values, and and he did so by getting rid of these freaks. Uh, I'm going to quote from this article now: social justice, political correctness, multiculturalism, militant feminism, campus speech codes, affirmative action, racial quotas. Tolerance and diversity, sensitivity training, assisted suicide, selectively applied hate crime laws, the morphing of the narrowly drawn sexual harassment laws into the ambiguous hostile work environment laws, the perversion of the once noble civil rights movement into a victim business. I don't. I disagree with the, the phrase "once noble" there. Special interest politics undocumented workers instead of illegal immigrants, the cloning of the American mind in our public K-12 schools and universities, the feminization of our politics, our military, our traditional religious establishments, communist propaganda masquerading as academia, ethnic studies, women's studies, Hispanic studies, black studies, peace studies, black is white and white is black. The Orwellian newspeak nightmare scenario come to life. In a scant 60 years, we have gone from the can-do greatest generation, tempered by the economic depression and tested by war, to a self-loathing, white guilt-ridden, can't-get-it-done culture that infects today's college campuses, mainstream media, and most depressing, many of our elected representatives. The roots of this phenomenon can be traced back to a little-known movement transplanted from 1930s Germany to the United States called the Frankfurt School. The principal advocates were Herbert Marcuse, Theodore Adorno, Max Horkheimer, and Walter Benjamin. The Franklin School was a disparate collection of dissident Marxists highly critical of capitalism. They were influenced by the failure of post-World War I working-class revolutions in Europe and the rise of Nazism in an economically, technologically, and culturally advanced Germany. Over the second half of the 20th century, the critique of capitalism has turned into a critique of Western civilization as a whole. Horkheimer and Adorno's Dialectic of Enlightenment, 1944, has come to dominate the social thought of recent years. And, and I'll stop there, and, and maybe we could start with Linda Kimball, but I'd, I'd like to say that before this segment's over, we will see that many of the 1960s radicals and, and pop psychologists and feminists and perverts all came from the influence of the Frankfurt School. It's not for nothing that all these people came out of Colombia. A great number of them came right from Colombia, which actually invited the Frankfurt School that these and, and and the Frankfurt School describes these um that this wolf pack of Jewish devils masquerading as social scientists that the Frankfurt School de describes them and their philosophy and and the um the perversion of western civilization which they taught in their in their classrooms and it's also not for nothing that a number of foreign communist leaders, mainly in Afghanistan, have come out of Colombia. That, that shouldn't come as a shock to anyone, should it? I think it's um, Nur Muhammad Taraki. He did his 
graduate studies at Columbia University in the 60s. Right, and and all the ones that do come out of Columbia are all communists and socialists, or, or however you want to describe them. It's the political expression of Talmudism. Mm-hmm. You want to start with um, the Linda Kimball article? Are you prepared for that, or do you want me to? Would you like to start on that one? I'll, I'll be pulling it up. I'll read along, and I'll comment when I see any anything that I'd like to raise. Right. I, I had set out to um, the other day to to, permit, to prepare notes for the segment, and and I was going to summarize the um, the effect of the Frankfurt School on on American culture, and I found this article by Linda Kimball published in in the American Thinker website in 2007 that that was a damned good um, summary of of just what I set out to do. So so it saved me some work, but. She, she did a good job on it, and, and we're going to follow along with that. Cultural Marxism by Linda Kimball. There are two misconceptions held by many Americans. The first is that communism ceased to be a threat when the Soviet Union imploded. The second is that the new left of the 60s collapsed and disappeared as well. The 60s are dead, wrote columnist George Will slamming the doors, Newsweek, March 25th, 1991. Now, now well, I would just like to say that George Will is an obvious shill for the, for, the banking, for the banking crowd. Absolutely. He's basically letting people in America pat themselves on the back so we can feel as though we won the cultural war of the 60s, we won the Cold War, and we have no threats to deal with, when basically we lost the cultural war, we lost the Cold War, and yet we don't know. We've been we've, we're people who have suffered a colossal, humiliating defeat, and right. we don't even realize it. We've become exactly like the enemy. We've totally caved into the enemy, and we don't even know it. At and, least the Germans and Weimar. That's because, as I just read at the at the beginning of, of the um, the Neville Awards article that I read, all of those those keywords, that whole list of keywords that they use to describe their political philosophy, they are all Marxist beliefs. Mm. Social justice, political correctness, multicultural. That whole list is, is every, every one of them represents a Marxist philosophy, and we have adopted it here in America. At least in Weimar, the Germans knew they had been defeated in World War One. Well, not so much defeated as betrayed and stabbed in the back, but they didn't go around thumping their chest proclaiming themselves the victors. Absolutely. All right, to move on from the, um, from, from the phony George Will. Because the new left lacked cohesion, it fell apart as a political movement. However, its revolutionaries reorganized themselves into a multitude of single-issue groups. Thus, we now have, for example, radical feminists, black extremists, anti-war peace activists, animal rights groups, radical environmentalists, and gay rights groups. All of these groups pursue their piece of the radical agenda through a complex network of organizations such as the Gay Straight Lesbian Educators Network. The American Civil Liberties Union, People for the American Way, United for Peace and Justice, Planned Parenthood, Sexuality Information and Educational Council of the United States. Doesn't that sound official? And Code Pink for Peace. It sounds like they're an authoritative, legitimate source when it's probably some gutter trash Jew spewing information on how to avoid pregnancy, how to induce a miscarriage. That's exactly what it is. 
and 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 they they come out with these real official sounding names and and authoritative sounding names that they make nice comfortable livings for themselves and they pervert society and that's how they operate that they, they they exist for the sake of perverting society absolutely and it seems that the movement that the left movement has become incredibly decentralized there really is no organized general communist party in this country anymore is there and that's exactly what linda's saying that's exactly that's, what she's saying that they've all de decentralized into single issue interest groups and they hammer away at our society from from a million different facets at the same time so people who would never agree with 100% or even 90% of the communist platform, they agree with one key issue, they focus on that exclusively, and they don't realize that they're being used to fulfill one aim of the communist platform. They're basically, you know, one battalion in a division that's been sent out, and then there's a dozen other battalions, and they're all working for the same common goal, yet they don't realize it. Well, well right, and each one of those issues is packaged in a way that, even though it represents something that knocks a pillar out from under the foundation of Western society, it, it's packaged in a way that it sounds like a just cause to, to fix some, some perceived wrong or some perceived oppression. And, and, and they package them up real slick, uh, just like a Jew car salesman can package up a 56 Ford with a busted engine and no transmission. So you know and you have your sell it to the public. You have the the, the the PETA organization out there that talks about cruelty to animals, and that ends up with the animal czar, Cass Sunstein, a Jew that Obama appointed, and he said, "quote Animals should have the right to sue people in a court of law using human interpreters to decide what it is they're trying to say." Well, you know, as soon as we decide that Jews can marry men, uh, there'll, there'll be a push so that Jews can marry animals. So, so that we could have human animal weddings in in churches and 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 courthouses, <laughs> because Jews are basically omnisexual, aren't they? Absolutely. They're, they're not homosexual. They're not heterosexual. They're not bisexual. Jews are omnisexual. <laughs> okay, I'm going to continue with this article. Both communism and the new left are alive and thriving here in America. They favor code words, tolerance social justice, economic justice, peace, reproductive rights, sex education, safe sex, safe schools, inclusion, diversity, and sensitivity. All this, together, all this together is cultural Marxism disguised as multiculturalism. And, and I, base, I myself would call it Talmudism disguised as freedom, because that's mm -hmm. what it is. And I'd like to just take the time to remind people of what we discussed in Germany, the Jewish problem, under the guise of so-called sexual science, they put forth titles in the 1910s and 20s in Germany along the lines of sexual pathology, how to avoid pregnancy, prostitution, sexual life in our age, and this all came out of Magnus Hirschfeld's Institution for Sexual Science. Doesn't that sound eerily similar to what um, Linda Campbell just described, the Sexuality Information and Education Council? Well, right, and and you know the um, the Frankfurt School included sociologists and psychologists from all disciplines. It was multidiscipline, and, and they had sociologists and they had sexologists, and and they were really like um, sociopaths and perverts. It was really a gang of sociopaths and perverts. 
Well, but I they think, put these, they gave it these cleaned up names, and, and people bought it. I saw a, a documentary on sexology, and it was utter trash. Uh, ugh. At least it wasn't graphic, but it, it showed, you know, this guy going into a clinic, and he was a virgin, and they said that he had hang-ups on sex, so they would cure him, and he wound up having sex with the counselor. That was how they ended up to, quote, cure him. And it looked like some hideous Jewish counselor old enough to be his grandmother. And I'm wondering, what's this guy in his early 20s doing going to a place like this? Well, and they actually, did they hide behind the... Maybe that's how Satan seduced Steve. <laughs> but they hide behind the facade of professionalism. Maybe he really opened up the clinic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, look at Dr. Ruth Westheimer. How do people listen to, to a troll and learned about sex. She's a troll. But people eat that crap up. She couldn't have possibly had sex with anything that only had two legs. <laughs> um, you want to continue with Kimball and, and the, birth of no, the birth of multiculturalism? In anticipation of the revolutionary storm that would baptize the world in an inferno of red terror, leading to its birth as the promised land of social justice and proletarian Equality, Friedrich Engels wrote, all the large and small nationalities are destined to perish in the revolutionary world storm. A general war will wipe out all nations down to their very names. The next world war will result in the disappearance from the face of the earth, not only reactionary classes, but reactionary peoples. The Magar struggle. Now, now what, is, um, what is this Jew doing, this Engels, what's he doing writing about the Magyar struggle? I'm He's not a Magyar. He's not a Magyar. But you see, the Jews, that they they promote minorities wherever they go to use them as a wedge against the, the, um, the, majority, the majority population. Well, what was it written in the Jewish world, February 9, 1883? The great ideal of Judaism is that the whole world shall be imbued with Jewish teachings and that in a universal brotherhood of nations, a greater Judaism, in fact, all the separate races and religions shall disappear. Right, and that's their world goal. The, the Jew, the goal of the Jew is to totally corrupt the creation of Yahweh God. Goldwyn Smith, professor at Oxford University, October 1981. We Jews regard our race as superior to all humanity and look forward not to its ultimate union with other races, but to its triumph over them. Right. They want to mix all the other races, so so and and they perceive themselves as as being better. And and they they think that they could rule the world if they mix everybody. Maurice Samuels, you Gentiles, page one fifty five. We Jews, we are the destroyers and will remain the destroyers. Nothing you can do will meet our demands and needs. We will forever destroy because we want a world of our own. Absolutely. And, and they admit, uh, I mean, Michael Rodkinson, in the preface of the Babylonian Talmud, wrote, the modern Jew is the product of the Talmud. They admit it. They don't admit it to us. And, and those philosophies that you just mentioned, that those philosophies are products of the Talmud. Everything that comes out of the Jewish mind is, is basically um, through the training that he had or his fathers had in the Talmud, which is definitely the most perverted, disgusting, anti-Christ, anti-anything-good, anti-God book that you could ever lay your hands on. Absolutely. 
By the end of World War I, socialists realized that something was amiss, for the world's proletariat had not heeded Marxist call to rise up in opposition to evil capitalism and to embrace communism instead. They wondered what had gone wrong. And as an aside here, I'd point out that despite the, the glaring corruption in the system at the time and the legitimate grievances that most workers would have had against the factory owners and management, they weren't looking to cut the throats of the bourgeoisie, rape their women, take their properties and divide everything up or own it in common. They just wanted a fair deal. They didn't want to work 14 hours a day, seven days a week, and have to worry about dying on a daily basis from dangerous machinery. They just wanted a fair deal. They weren't looking to drown everyone in their own blood and wave a red banner, were they? No, absolutely not. So no. that's where the the labor union movement that the, the laborers had the laboring class had a legitimate set of um gripes about about industrialized Europe. However, the Jews took advantage of those gripes and brought them to the extreme. Mm-hmm. And they never offer reasonable, sensible solutions and alternatives, do they? They always they take a legitimate grievance, blow it out of proportion, and then make it look like the only answer is to rise up, obey everything some commissar says, kill the factory owner, and help some Jew take over everything. Basically, yes. That, that's the um, that that's the real intent is not to help the worker. Their real intent is to use the worker so that they could take over the society. I forget who it was that was quoted as saying it, but he said something along the lines of, those who wish to lead a revolution do not seek to free you, they seek to become your new master. Imagine the mafia tries to extort you as a small business owner, so you go to the police and the police say, okay, well, don't give him the money, you're going to give us the money, we'll protect you. You're still getting extorted. Absolutely. All right, separately, two Marxist theorists, Antonio Gramsci of Italy, and George Lukacs of Hungary concluded that the Christianized West was the obstacle standing in the way of a communist New World Order. The West would have to be conquered first. And and Gramsci actually ter- coined that term, the Long March, that, that China uses in, in as a very often as a slogan. Gramsci, we we should probably do a separate segment on him one night. He he was not a Frankfurt School. Um, you know, founder like like George Lukacs was. However, he did begin a a, a more or less successful um, philosophical movement that polluted the Catholic Church, and and basically brought communism and and into the and invented liberation theology, and and turned most Catholics into communists, especially in South America. So-called liberation theology. Yes, I remember yes. that at my. I went to a Jesuit university, and they were basically all Marxists. One of them actually had the gall to stand up in a discussion panel meeting and say that nowhere in the Bible, except a few dusty Old Testament passages, is homosexuality even referenced, let alone condemned. And I got into a debate back and forth, and he kept calling me comrade whenever he would address me, and he would address someone else. He would point to someone and say, the the, the comrade back there sitting in, the, in row whatever. And somebody asked me afterwards, why was he calling you a comrade? And I said, I don't know. I'm not a communist, but I'm sure he is. And later, years later, they organized a protest against the School of the Americas, and this is a a typical social justice, liberal-style protest. They had an on-campus protest. They had a bunch of professors lying under white sheets and a sign reading, how would you feel if these were your professors? They were pointing out that 
in the 1980s, a bunch of Marxist professors, some Jesuits and whatnot, went down to Central America, and they got themselves involved on the wrong side of a civil war. They were aiding and abetting terrorists, giving them medical services, patching them up so they could go back out and terrorize more peasants in the rural countryside. And government security forces came through the village one day, saw the missionary hospital, so-called missionary hospital, that these priests and professors were operating, and they shot them all. And I said real loud to my friend who was next to me, if my professors were down in Central America agitating for Marxism and they got shot, I would feel comfortable knowing that they'd gotten what they deserved. Absolutely. And, and some people just looked at me like I was from another planet. Well, well, Grant, Antonio Gramsci is an individual seldom spoken of in an academic circles. Indeed, some encyclopedias have even ceased to carry an entry for his name. He is one of the little-known, seldom-mentioned, but incredibly forward-sighted fathers of modern-day communist socialist theory. The political formula Gramsci devised has done more than classical Leninism-Stalinism to spread Marxism throughout the capitalist West. Gramsci's ideas are also some of the more potent enemies of the Christian church, a significant part of the issues with which the church has been confronted for the past 50 years and its declining congregation and a dilution of geopolitical influence of its clergy in Western governmental affairs is due in no small part to adherence of Gramscian philosophies. Using stratagems and ideas that Gramsci conceptualized, refined, and implemented during his efforts to reform political systems in pre-World War II Europe, Opponents of class separation and institutionalized religion have planted the seeds of discord and disharmony which have radically altered and forever softened the power, the practical power and awe-inspiring influence traditionally wielded by representatives and agents of the church. And this article is Antonio Gramsci, How the Legacy of an Italian Communist is Wrecking the Catholic Church Today. And this afternoon I put it up on my Mein Kampf project at Christagenia.org. And, and it can be found under Antonio Gramsci on the um, on, on a new menu section that I have up on on the site called the Ongoing Cultural War Against Christianity. You know where Gramsci was born? He was born in Sardinia, hmm. and, and his father was a tax collector. So what does that tell you? Oh, I'm looking at a picture of him, Antonio Gramsci. He looks like Leon Trotsky. He looks exactly like Leon Trotsky. And, it says and that he's a, his his father just, was, his mother was a school teacher and his father was a rural land tax assessor and, I, I and just, they were privileged signori in in a poor Sar, amongst poor Sardinian peasants. Well, I just found that it says that he was of Albanian descent. Translation: He was a Jewish transplant living in Sardinia, passing himself off as an Italian. Exactly. That's exactly that's exactly what he was, but the the article I have doesn't call him a Jew, but I believe that's exactly what he was. <laughs> and and we we could do a whole separate segment just on on how his philosophies got into the the Catholic Church in Vatican II and poisoned the church and created liberation philosophy. However, he wasn't a um, even though he was cut from the same cloth, he was not a Frankfurt School. Um, disciple or, or founder like like these others. I'm sure they would have made him an honorary member. Oh, they they definitely should have an honorary honorary founding member. 
George Lukacs is is um he he was a Frankfurt School founder. To to proceed with Kimball. Separately, two Marxist theorists, Antonio Gramsci of Italy and George Lukacs of Hungary, concluded that the Christianized West was the obstacle standing in the way of a communist New World Order. The West would have to be conquered first. And and it's only Christianity that's ever stood in the way of the Jews. The pagans have never, ever stood in the way of the Jews. Historically, the Jews always get along with pagan Christians. The Jews did very well. They even thrived under the paganism of the Roman Empire. And and the Romans threw very few obstacles before the Jews. And the Jews thrived amongst the pagan. Uh, I mean, the Khazars were white before the Jews got a hold of them and polluted them. And the Jews thrived amongst them. And the Jews thrived in a pagan Iberia. And, and, every, and, and even along the Danube rivers in the Black Seas. And, and pagan Scythians, the forerunners of the Germans, the Jews thrived. Well, here we go. The Christians are always singing about the blood. Let us give them enough of it. Let us cut their throats and drag them over the altar and let them drown in their own blood. I dream of the day when the last priest is strangled with the intestines of the last preacher, Jewish chairman of the American Communist Party, Gus Hall. Here we go. Bernard Lazar, page 350, in his own book, La Antisemitisme. The Jew is not satisfied with dechristianizing. He Judaizes. He destroys Catholic or Protestant faith. He provokes indifference, but he imposes his idea of the world, of morals, and of life upon those whose faith he ruins. He works at his age-old task, the annihilation of the religion of Christ. Jewish World, March 15, 1923, quote, Fundamentally, Judaism is anti-Christian. I've never seen any Jewish author talking about annihilating paganism, have you? No, never. And, and they love paganism. They've never they, said, you know... Christianity is the only bulwark that's ever stood against Judaism, period. I've never, I've never heard a Jew say, let us strangle the last Wiccan with the intestines of the last Odinist. <laughs> no, that, no they, love, they love white pagans because they know that white pagans have no moral codes. White, white pagans have no, um, no, no spiritually moral foundation that, that, they're, um, that their beliefs are pinned to. And white pagans are, are because of that, they're easily corrupted. And, and the Jews always um, were very successful at doing that. And, and Christianity is, anti-thema to, is anathema to the Jew. It's, it's the only thing that stands against the Jew. And, 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 you know, pagans don't threaten the Jew, the, the Jew's false sense of identity at all. And, in fact, pagans help the Jews maintain their false identity. Where, where Christians threaten that, even mainstream Christians threaten that, that Jewish sense of security and false security in their identity and, and the identity that they claim. Do you want to proceed with Linda Kimball? All right, just let me find, where do we leave off? Gramsci, I'll I'll read it. Gramsci posited that because Christianity had been dominant in the West for over 2,000 years, not only was it fused with Western civilization, but that it had corrupted the workers' class. In, In other words, the Jews couldn't take advantage of them, so they must be corrupt, I guess. The West would have to be de-Christianized, said Gramsci, by means of 
a long march. Now, that's a word the Red Chinese love to use. Yes, Mao used it. Yes, through the culture. Additionally, a new proletariat must be created. In his prison notebooks, he suggested that the new proletariat may be comprised of many criminals, women, and racial minorities. The new battleground, reason Gramsci, must become the culture, starting with the traditional family and completely engulfing churches, schools, media, entertainment, civic organizations, literature, science, and history. All of these things must be radically transformed and the social and cultural order gradually turned upside down with the new proletariat placed in power at the top. And, and basically that's what they've done through all of these um, – through, through all of these separate front organizations that they attack our society with, isn't it? And the, the non-Christians who see this, they fail to take it in context of Deuteronomy 28, so they're never going to get an overall perspective. They're not going to get the whole picture. Right. The, the, um, the, the pagans, the non-Christians can never get the full picture because and they don't every... understand, uh, you know, they don't understand who the Jew is. Only real Christians, only real traditional Christians understand who the Jew is. And it seems that all of what's happening, this inversion of the established order of things, it's happening in fulfillment of Deuteronomy 28, or at least as Deuteronomy 28 warned, not necessarily a prophetic fulfillment, but a natural consequence of certain conduct and lack of conduct on the part of our people. Well, there's no doubt. There's absolutely no doubt. But the only cure is is to... um read the New Testament, believe it, and believe what it says about the Jew. So we were, never, we were never so much guaranteed all the plagues as we were guaranteed if you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to get A, B, C. And because our people fed at the trough of the Jew, and we let the Jew fill people's heads with a sewer hose, here we are today. Absolutely. Okay, the prototype. You want to read from there? All right. In 1919, Georg Lukacs became deputy commissar for culture in the short-lived Bolshevik Bela Kuhn regime in Hungary. And I'd just like to pause here and say that some people are now trying to claim that Bela Kuhn was not a Jew. They're identifying him as an atheist. Oh, he was probably a pagan then if he wasn't a Jew. He <laughs> well, must have been a pagan, right? So, so we can blame the pagans for Bela Kuhn. That's all right, too. The Jews the original have... name. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was going to say his original name was Bella Cohen. I'm, I'm sure it was. And and the um, if we blame the pagans for Bella Kuhn, then, then um, you know, we have a long list of criminals, a long enough list of criminals to blame the Jews for. So we'll put this one on the on the Asatru crowd, eh? All right. <laughs> he immediately kidding. set plans in motion for de- to dechristianize Hungary, and we've already discussed quotes from Jewish authors about how Jews want to dechristianize everything and destroy it reasoning that if Christian sexual ethics could be undermined among children, then both the hated patriarchal family and the church would be dealt a crippling blow. The so, patriarchal family is I'm, a prime I'm sorry. target. So, so what we see here is the Jews want to de-Christianize the West, and the mm-hmm. pagans play into their hands. So, so, so the pagans are actually working on the side. They're working for the cause of the Jews. And the pagans, I've seen them on their forums. They claim that we're in league with the communists and the capitalists and that we're Jewish pawns, yet they're the ones attacking the religion that the Jews hate more than anything. So if they consider themselves friends in the white nationalist movement, with friends like them, we wouldn't need enemies. 
Absolutely. I'm, I'm, okay, go on. And, and let me say that the, before you continue, because he's talking about, he says that um, reasoning that if Christian sexual ethics could be undermined among children, then both the hated patriarchal family and the church would be dealt a crippling blow. And, and I have to say that the patriarchal family is a prime target for extinction in the Communist Manifesto. Okay, go on. I'm sorry. Lukacs launched a radical sex education program in the schools. Sex lectures were organized and literature handed out, which graphically instructed youth in free love, promiscuity, and sexual intercourse while simultaneously encouraging them to deride and reject Christian moral ethics, monogamy, and parental and church authority. All of this was accompanied by a reign of cultural terror perpetrated against parents, priests, and dissenters. And I'd like to read again from... Russia, number one, about what free love really is, where it ultimately leads with the Bolsheviks in charge. January 11, 1919, general pull to war office. There is evidence to show that commissariats of free love have been established in several towns and respectable women flogged for refusing to yield. Decree for nationalization of women has been put into force and several experiments made to nationalize children. And as the um, listeners may remember, Lenin once remarked, let me instruct the children for four years, and the seed which I plant shall never be uprooted. And that's basically what Bella Kuhn was going for, but he didn't last that long, fortunately. Continuing on, Hungary's youth, having been fed a steady diet of values-neutral atheism and radical sex education, while simultaneously encouraged to rebel against all authority, easily turned into delinquents ranging from bullies and petty thieves to sex predators, murders, and sociopaths. Gramsci's prescription and Lukic's plan I'm, for the... Per- that sounds just like American youth today. Well, let me ask you then. How many school shootings did you hear about in your day when you were a boy coming up in the world? It was unheard of. In and the did 60s you ever, and 70s, it was unheard of. Did you hear of 30-year-old, 40-year-old married teachers going with 12-year-old boy students? It was unheard of. Absolutely. The, the, the entire society is corrupted. How many people were getting stabbed and raped in the bathrooms? It was unheard of. So it seems that this is a side effect of the Jewish prescription that they've offered us, as they point out about Gramsci's prescription and Lukic's plan. Absolutely. It, it's, they, they affected this in the 60s and 70s, and the results are, are most evident in the 80s and 90s. Continuing on, that Gramsci's prescription and Lukic's plans were the precursor to what cultural Marxism in the guise of Sikus Gislin and the ACLU acting as judicially empowered, empowered enforcers later brought into American schools. Now, now as we explained before, Sikus and, and Glit, that's that gay and lesbian sexual education organization is GLSEN, and, and Sikus is a sexual education organization. And, and they've assisted in destroying the schools, yes. And and that's all part of the plan. That's all part of the plan. It's a purposeful plan to undermine our culture. And it all came out of the Frankfurt School and and, and associated Jewish philosophies. Would you like to continue on? Um. Yeah, first, I'd, I'd like to say that if you read the Communist Manifesto, the the primary goal of it is to destroy what they what the um what the Jew Engels calls the bourgeois family structure. And and they destroyed that. They destroyed that in this country in the sixties and seventies. 
and all the corruption in society and and the um the perversion of the west is is that i mean that's the that's the linchpin as far as i'm concerned is the family unit and and they've managed to destroy it through the government through the educational system through the media and it's a constant assault and it's still under assault building a base in 1923 the frankfurt school a Marxist think tank was founded in Weimar, Germany. Among its founders were George Lukacs, who you just described, Herbert Marcuse, and Theodore Adorno. The school was a multidisciplinary effort which included sociologists, sexologists, and psychologists. So, so that's really code names for sociopaths, perverts, and, and, and otherwise corruptors of civilization, eh? Basically, future serial killers and serial rapists of the country. Right. The primary goal of the Frankfurt School was to translate Marxism from economic terms into cultural terms. It would provide the ideas on which to base a new political theory of revolution based on culture, harnessing new oppressed groups for the faithless proletariat, smashing religion, morals. It would also build a constituency constituency among academics who could build careers studying and writing about the new oppression. Toward this end, Marcuse, and, and this, um, we're, we're going to present later that this Herbert Marcuse, one of, the, one of the sociologists who founded the Frankfurt School, he had a deep, um, he deeply affected people like Abby Hoffman, and Angela Davis, and and Jerry Rubin, and all the radicals of the 50s and 60s that came out of Columbia and UCLA and Berkeley. And, I once had somebody send me a link to a book written by some transnational third-wave feminist, some 400, 500-long-page diatribe, and they, they talked about how, how great the phraseology was, how articulate and eloquent the person was. And I said, well, yeah, but the, their arguments all rest upon unproven premises that men inherently oppress women and that society needs to be overthrown and done away with so the patriarch can be destroyed. And I said, it's all just mind-numbing complaints about nothing. And it's just some shrill, you know, some shill crying for attention, trying to make a career out of complaining. Absolutely. And, and that's a, a big part of your plan. That, now, now this this Marcuse had founded the um, well, well, he was one of the founders of this Frankfurt School, and and I'll read the next paragraph unless you have something to say. I was going to say it seems that a lot of people are taken in with that sort of phraseology and that eloquence, like Hitler pointed out in Mein Kampf that some newspapers are just gutter trash and tabloid nonsense, and they appeal to people's desire to read about scandals, and then another newspaper run by a Jewish cousin of the first newspaper will then put out something that's soft, it's toned down, it doesn't really tell you anything of value, but it's worded pretty nice and eloquent, so people think, wow, it must be intelligent and it must be true because they, they use big words. Right, they can't see through the the, um, the presentation and, and examine the content. Hmm. It's Wh all style. A, a reading skill lost on most people. It's all style but no substance. Toward this end, Marcuse, one of the Frankfurt School founders, who favored polymorphist perversion expanded the ranks of Gramsci's new proletariat by including homosexuals, lesbians, and transsexuals. Into this was spliced Lukacs's radical sex education 
and cultural terrorism tactics. Gransky's long march was added to the mix, and then all of this was wedded into Freudian psychoanalysis and psychological conditioning techniques. The end product was cultural Marxism, now known in the West as multiculturalism. And, and this might sound crazy, but as, as, as we do later in this series, we, we will demonstrate through Kevin McDonald that this had a profound impact on our society in the 60s and 70s. All of these Jewish perversions of our culture were the root cause and effect of, of all the transformation that American and, and European society underwent in, in, in the later half of the 20th century. Additional intellectual firepower was required, a theory to pathologize what was to be destroyed. In 1950, the Frankfurt School augmented cultural Marxism with Theodore Adorno's idea of the authoritarian personality. This concept is premised on the notion that Christianity, capitalism, and the traditional family create a character prone to racism and fascism. Thus, anyone who upholds America's traditional moral values and institutions is both racist and fascist. Children raised by traditional values, parents we are told to believe, will almost certainly become racists and fascists. Racists and fascists. By extension, if fascism and racism are endemic to America's cultural tra traditional culture, then everyone raised in the traditions of God, family, patriotism, gun ownership, or free markets is in need of psychological help. And, like and this is exactly reflective of the liberal attitudes towards traditional American culture today. Lenin once made a remark along the lines of, those who are not politically correct must be mentally ill. He said Absolutely. That those, were, those who were not in line with his party needed psychological help. And, and basically, political correctness is an expression of a belief in nothing and, and a sucking up to everything. Hmm. It's an acceptance of everything. It's an acceptance of all perversion. And they use the term racist and fascist as just generic slurs against any opponent, any dissident, just to stifle him and instantly silence him, as though racial purity and the law and order that fascism brings are things to be feared, reviled, and hated. Well, and I have it in several YouTube videos that Jews in, in, in both Palestine and in New York, they, they equate Christianity and fascism and Christianity and Nazism. And, and they consider Christians to be fascists and Nazis. People can lose jobs today being labeled a racist, but who's going to lose anything being branded a communist, even if they are a communist? Like that guy Van Jones, that former Obama czar, who said it's time to get rowdy. He was an outspoken revolutionary communist, and they simply reassigned him somewhere else because he wouldn't shut up. But he's not unemployable by any measure, is he? <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay. The pernicious influence of Adorno's authoritarian personality idea can be clearly seen in some of the research that gets public money. In August 2003, the National Institute of Mental Health and the National Science Foundation announced the results of their $1.2 million taxpayer-funded study. Uh, I'm sure a bunch of Jews made out on that deal. It stated essentially that traditionalists are mentally disturbed. 
scholars from the universities of Maryland, California at Berkeley, and Stanford had determined that social conservatives suffer from mental rigidity, dogmatism, and uncertainty avoidance, together with associated indicators for mental illness. And, and that comes from an article at www.edwatch.org, Social and Emotional Learning. And I'd like to point out that so-called racists and homophobes are now being subjected to forced druggings in certain prisons, I believe mainly in California. The California, I'll read from my article here. Some mental health practitioners are seeking to study whether pathological bias, such as severe racism or homophobia, constitutes a mental illness. Such a decision would have far-ranging consequences both in mental health practice and the criminal justice system. In the California prison system, psychiatrists are already treating pathological bias with antipsychotic drugs. So they are forcibly drugging people against their will in the California prison system on the premise, on the, on the belief, on proven belief, that anybody who has a problem with homosexuals or the idea of gay sex, interracial sex, interracial couples, or other races must be mentally ill and needs to have mind-bending drugs forced on them. Well, well, that's probably all the, um, the, the for the same reason they're feminizing American boys in schools by feeding them Ritalin. Uh, I mean, the, the, it's an assault on every on every front against our race, and people people just won't see it, and and they accept it, and and they consider it good, and and they think that to be politically correct is to be godly, and, and to be effeminate and, and a fop is to be godly. It's crazy. And I actually found an article on World Net Daily. A veteran psychiatrist said that liberals are mentally ill and that they have a retarded development. He said, quote, like spoiled angry children, they rebel against the normal responsibilities of adulthood and demand that a parental government meet their needs from cradle to grave. Well, that's true, but he'll probably lose his license. Critical theory is an ongoing and brutal assault via vicious criticism relentlessly leveled against Christians. Christmas, the Boy Scouts, the Ten Commandments, our military, and all other aspects of traditional American culture and society. And and that's all critical theory is, and, and this is one of their big, um, the Frankfurt School's big philosophy is criti what they call critical theory. And all it does is tear apart, it's a parasite tearing apart the host nation, is all critical theory is. Both political correctness and critical theory are, in essence, psychological bullying. They are the psycho-political battering rams by which Frankfurt School disciples, such as the ACLU, are forcing Americans to submit and to obey the will and the way of the left. Well, I would say of the Jews, but Linda Kimball didn't say that. These devious devices are but psychological versions of George Lukacs and Levente Beria's cultural terrorism tactics. In the words of Beria, obedience is the result of force. Force is the antithesis of humanizing actions. It is so synonymous in the human mind with savageness, lawlessness, brutality, and barbarism that it is only necessary to display an inhuman attitude toward people to be granted by those people the possessions of force. The Russian Manual on Psychopolitics, Obedience by Levente Beria, head of the Soviet secret police and Stalin's right-hand man. And wasn't he eventually denounced and executed like his predecessor and the one before him, I believe? Genrik Yagoda was killed in 36 by Nikolai Yezov, 
then Yezov was later killed by Beria. Well, well, right, and and it it doesn't mean that they didn't keep using the the philosophies of the man. That's for sure, because they they surely did maintain the tactics. Double thinking fence sitters, otherwise known as moderates, centrists, and rhinos, which is an acronym for Republican in name only, bear the imprint of the psychological obedience techniques. These people, in some cases, literally afraid of incurring the wrath of name-calling obedience trainers, have opted to straddle the fence lest they be found guilty of possessing an opinion one way or the other. At the merest hint of displeasure from the obedience trainers, up goes the yellow flag of surrender upon which it is boldly written, I, believing in nothing, am tolerant of everything, which is the cry of, of most Christians today. And, and it's actually the cry of all the pagans. They really believe in nothing, and they're to, they tolerate everything. Or the cop-out, well, I wouldn't do it, but it's okay if other people want to. Which is an absolute cop-out. It's an absolute cop-out. And I was confronted with that recently by a family member, by, by my own sister-in-law. And when I told her I wouldn't accept a certain person because they were homosexuals, and they weren't even welcome in my house, she said, well... What's wrong with it if they don't do it in front of you? <laughs> and and that is the canned response of most people today. That well, there's would, nothing would they, wrong with it as long as they don't do it in front of them. Would they tolerate a serial killer or a rapist as long as they confine it to their basement and they don't have to witness the deed? Well, well, it's a, it's a sick, perverted answer for a sick, perverted society because that's what that as Linda Kimball just explained. They have everybody so afraid of being labeled that everybody just gives up, and 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 they're tolerant of everything, and that's cultural Marxism, and that came that is what Adolf Hitler expelled from Nazi Germany, and, and we ended up with it. And this leads to polytheism and idolatry, doesn't it? There's always room for one more, but. Once we accept this idea that we're tolerant of everything, people can no longer be tolerant of Yahweh and tolerant of Scripture. He has to be pushed aside to make way for race mixing, prostitution, drugs, pornography, everything. Right, because there's no room in, in Scripture for those things. The Jews succeed in, in tearing Scripture out of the hands of Christians because Christians cave in to the, the labels that the Jews, through the obedience trainers, put on them. And by obedience trainer, she means the um, the the political politically correct think crowd like the ACLU, the ADL. The ADL is just an, an obedience training arm of of Judaism to, to prepare the world for for um, for absolute corruption. That's all the ADL's purpose is. That's all the ACLU's purpose is. Tear down all boundaries. Everything goes. The Jews are omnisexual. They'll be marrying animals next. Well, they're already doing that in India. Have you heard about that? No, I haven't, but I wouldn't doubt it. It does. In India, a woman, I was going to say a woman married a snake. She said that it's, it's charmed her and that she wants to spend her life with the snake. And I think it's a cobra, so it may be a short life. Hopefully. And then a man married a dog. And, and he, his last name has to be um, Patelberg. Finstein. 
I, I don't know if you could actually meld the Indian and Jewish names very well, but <laughs> yeah, you want to read from Cultural Determinism, the, the right, last so, section of um, Linda Kimball's article. The linchpin of cultural Marxism is cultural determinism, the parent of identity politics and group solidarity. In its turn, cultural determinism was birthed by the Darwinian idea that man is but a soulless animal, and therefore his identity is determined by, for example, his skin color or his sexual and or erotic preferences. This proposition rejects the concepts of the human spirit, individuality, free will, and morally informed conscience, paired with personal accountability and responsibility, because it emphatically denies the existence of the God of the Bible. Consequently, and by extension, it also rejects the first principles of our liberty enumerated in the Declaration of Independence. These are our unalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Cultural Marxism must reject these because these principles of liberty are, quote, endowed by our Creator who made man in his image. Cultural determinism, states David Horowitz, I wonder who he is. And, and is, he's well, a Jew, and, and he actually writes, you know, Jews tell on each other all the time. And he's a Jew writing about the police at the Frankfurt School. But he goes on to call it fascism. Well, well, yeah, and and you know that um, uh, there's another Jew that wrote that book of, about the leftist fascism recently, um, Jonah Goldberg, li- liberal yeah. fascism. Why don't, and, and, why don't they just call it what it is, Bolshevism? Well, right, they're slandering the word fascism to describe what the left is doing, and and mm-hmm. it is Bolshevism in reality. Since we wouldn't have these problems if we were living in 1930s Italy or 1930s Germany, we would not have these problems. We would well, have. Well, except, we would have, well, Hitler eliminated these problems in 1930s Germany, and that's how we ended up with them. And and that's why we sided with the Jews to destroy the Nazi Germany. I mean, in the, the sense of Germany. issues of free speech, free association, freedom of the press, etc. You would be able to probably print anything you want as long as it wasn't smutty, obscene, or a lie. You would be able to associate with anyone you wanted as long as you weren't plotting to blow up some. German police station and start waving a red banner. They try and, and make it and seem that's as though how they use, that's how they get where they do. They go into a place where there is liberty, such as that, like there like there was in in Kaiser Wilhelm's Germany, and and like there was in in America, and they use those liberties as a cloak for perversion and the destruction of those liberties. Well, they cry that they have no freedom and that civil liberties were curtailed in Germany because they weren't free to take hostages, hold people against their will, and say accept communism or die. They weren't free to rally in the streets, beat people up, and tell people vote communism or die. So they they scream, oh, we have no freedoms. Just like Mugabe, when he wasn't free in the 70s to go around chopping off arms and legs, telling people vote for my party or die because the Rhodesians put an end to that, or they tried to anyway, he screamed before the UN, we have no freedom in, in Rhodesia. Well, the real so Jewish idea of freedom is to be omnisexual. Hmm. <laughs> That's what right. they really want. Cultural determinism, states David Horowitz, is, quote, identity politics, the politics of radical feminism, queer revolution, and Afrocentrism, which is the basis of academic multiculturalism, a form of intellectual fascism, and insofar as it has any politics of political fascism as well. Mussolini and Neo-Fascist Tribalism, Up from Multiculturalism, by David Horowitz, January of 98. And I think that, you know, it's it just, it, it's it's to be expected that he had to either slur Mussolini or Hitler, and in this instance he picked, the, the, he just wanted to associate Mussolini with the sort of political correctness that's prevalent today, and that's academically dishonest and unfair. 
any serious student of Mussolini's fascist Italy would have to conclude reasonably that they had infinitely more civil liberties than we do in this country. Well, this is an example. I mean, Horowitz is, is doing something good by pointing out the evils of cultural Marxism. Mm -hmm. And then he's doing something devious at the same time by distorting the truth concerning the, the fascism of Europe in the 1920s and 30s. And yes. that's why Jews love to take both sides of the argument, so that they could distort and pervert both sides of the argument. So even when it seems one of them is exposing something bad done by another one, at the same time he insults key crucial white ancestors and white systems, and he demeans the heritage of our people, and he dismisses as impractical or even worse in the present situation and set of circumstances a political system such as fascism that would be a viable alternative to what we presently have. And it, and it all works towards the benefit of the Jew. So we're basically left where we are at the beginning. We're back at square one without any viable solutions. And all we have is some Jew complaining about something another Jew said, and it just sounds like the Talmud. Absolutely. And and Kimball probably went wrong here to quote him. Mm. But the, right, the conclusion is still basically the same to the, to the Christian mind. It is said that courage is the first of the virtues because without it fear will paralyze man thus keeping him from acting upon his moral convictions and speaking truth, thus bringing about a general state of paralyzing fear, apathy, and submission. The, change of of the chains of tyranny is the purpose behind psychopolitical cultural terrorism, for the communist left's revolutionary agenda must at all costs be clothed in darkness. The antidote is courage and the light of truth. If we are to win this cultural war and reclaim and rebuild America so our children and their children's children can live in a shining city on the hill, where liberty, families, opportunity, free markets, and decency flourish, we must muster the courage to fearlessly expose the communist left's revolutionary agenda to the light of truth. Truth and the courage to speak it will set us free. And I'm thinking here, it's not really a communist revolutionary left's agenda. It's a Jewish agenda to destroy our people and wipe the white race from the face of the earth. And right, not... and, and Kimball is writing from a mainstream perspective. And, and, and she point... still thinks there's a political hope for this country. We cannot win the cultural war since the war is over and done with. I don't even think, even though she she did an excellent job here describing the Frankfurt School, she doesn't realize that the war's already lost. Well, the only way we can undo the revolution is with a revolution of our own, and that's why they call us counter-revolutionaries, because they realize that we want to counter their revolution and we have to take on a revolutionary character and quality of our own. We simply cannot become conservatives. As I asked my dad earlier, I said, if we do not seek to conserve the precious inheritance given to us by our ancestors, the purity of our blood for future generations, then what are we conserving? Are we simply here to conserve the land? Are we here to conserve the institutions, to hand them over to third world savages, to mulattoes and other misfits? If we're not conserving our blood, we're conserving nothing. Absolutely, and, and I think that, that I, I'd like to. Um, yeah, yeah, most American conservatives have no no idea of the racial issue. They they well, just don't see it. That's why we're always losing. We are on the losing end of the revolutionary struggle since the conservatives just dig their heels into the ground while the leftists batter at them again and again and again, and eventually they start to push them back inch by inch by inch, and then their heel slips, and all of a sudden you have the 60s, and they go back by a foot. They try and dig their heel into the ground again, and then it's going to slip again and again and again. They're always on the defensive. 
I think the bottom line is that the the conservative believes he could win the war on on ideals and principles, and what he doesn't understand is that his real opposition is the Jew, and the Jew has no principles. Mm-hmm. And you he can't that beat he... somebody with principle that has no principles. You can't you can't win a moral victory over someone who has no morals. It's not possible. And he also tends to assume that he is dealing with people that are rational and can be influenced by a debate, whereas the leftist is not at all interested in debating. He's not a morally decent, honest person. As Hitler wrote in Mein Kampf, they will say, be our comrade or we will bash you over the skull. The Jews and now the neocons, the Rockefeller Republicans, the, the, the banking capitalists, the, those Jews have held the the control of the conservative argument for, for over 100 years now. Yes, it's a tainted argument. It's absolutely a, a you know conservatism itself is is um it's not really conservatism it hasn't been in quite some time since they're all about simply like I said earlier conserving institutions to hand over to third worlders they believe as I said to my dad they believe that the Somalian and the Frenchman are interchangeable and it matters not which race populates France, which race populates Germany, which race populates America. They can all be given the same ideals of liberty, democracy, freedom, and Christianity and it'll all work out in the end because race doesn't matter. And with that belief front and center in their ideology, that's basically the linchpin of their ideology, they're not going to go anywhere. Aside from the fact that they believe they can compromise and bargain their way out of this, and that if they give a little bit of ground, it will appease the leftists, and the leftists will give a little bit, and they'll meet somewhere in the middle. But if you yield anything, the left just keeps on pushing, 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 because they want to totally overthrow and destroy the existing order of things. That is their ultimate goal. First, the middle ground is those lukewarm people. (laughs) And second, the, the the middle, the perceived middle of the political spectrum, has has been moved about 180 degrees to the left since since the ninth since the early 1900s since the the years of um, Theodore Roosevelt probably mm. when, when um, conservatism also became equated with imperialism and and we became pawns for the Jewish international bankers I'd like to discuss some of the people that are affected by the Frank the Frankfurt School some of the great intellectual minds that the Frankfurt School has produced. And I'll start with the Jews, the Jewish child psychologist Benjamin Spock. He he wasn't really a um a graduate of of Frankfurt School philosophy, but he worked closely with it and he graduated from Columbia University in 1929, 4 years before the Frankfurt School got there. Spock was the first pediatrician to study psychoanalysis to try to understand children's needs and family dynamics. His ideas should in, his ideas about child care influenced several generations of parents to be more flexible and affectionate with their children and to treat them as individuals, whereas the previous conventional wisdom had been that child rearing should focus on building discipline and that babies should not be spoiled by picking them up when they cried. Now, now basically, Spock... That this is a very positive um, view of Spock's philosophy, which is painted here. 
but basically he he taught parents to stop disciplining their children and the result of the kids that we have today uh, i mean the result are the um the the rebellious um parent disrespecting generations that we've had for probably since the 70s wonderful I'd like to go on to radical Jew pervert, Abby Hoffman. Abbott Howard Hoffman was a social and political activist in the United States who co-founded the Youth International Party, which are called the Yippies. Later, he became a fugitive from the law who lived under an alias following a conviction for dealing cocaine. Hoffman was arrested and tried for conspiracy and inciting to... Riot as a result of his role in protests that led to violent confrontations with police during the 1968 Democratic National Convention, along with Jerry Rubin, David Dillinger, Tom Hayden, Rennie Davis, John Freund, Lee Weiner, and Bobby Seale. They're the Chicago Seven, and, and most of them are, are Jews or, or Negroes. The group was collectively known as the Chicago Eight. When Seale's prosecution was separated from the others, they became known as the Chicago Seven. Um, personal life. He was a graduate of Brandeis University, where he studied under Herbert Marcuse, a leading Marxist critical theorist associated with the Frankfurt School. In 1960, Hoffman married Sheila Carklin, and they had two children, blah, blah, blah. Well, Abby Hoffman, the Chicago Seven, was a um, a graduate of, of well, well, a student of Herbert Marcuse, the, the founder, one of the co-founders of the Frankfurt School. And, and we'll see that many other 60s and 70s radicals were, starting with um, Allen Ginsberg, the author uh-huh. of the foul poem, Howl. And, and you also said he was a NAMBLA advocate. and member. Here, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll read his quote. He said, quote, I joined NAMBLA in defense of free speech. For those who don't know, North American Man-Boy Love Association, and their motto, as though straight out of the Talmud, is sex before eight or it's too late. And the Talmud even says that a, a Jewish man can have sex with a boy as long as he's no older than eight. And I'm sure they don't even, they're not even hindered by that restriction, are they? Absolutely not. He goes on to say, he referred to NAMBLA as, quote, a forum for reform of those laws on youthful sexuality which members deem oppressive, a discussion society, not a sex club. And then he said that he appreciates youthful bodies and, quote, the human form divine. He then went on to say, he was quoted in the Harvard Gay and Lesbian Review, as um, reported by the Intermountain Jewish News, quote, everybody likes little kids. All you've got to do is walk through the Vatican and see all the little statues of little prepubescents, pubescents, and postpubescents. Naked kids have been a staple of delight for centuries for both parents and onlookers. In 1943, Ginsburg graduated from East Side High School in Newark and briefly attended Montclair State, University, Montclair State College before entering Columbia University on a scholarship from the Young Men's Hebrew Association. Imagine that. Now, Ginsburg wrote a poem in the 1950s. Actually, I think it was 1956. And, and I'm going to write a. Um, I'm going to read a paragraph from my article, an article I read wrote a few months ago called "The New Weimar Republic." At the dawn of the civil rights movement, and just before the so-called sexual revolution in the 1960s. 
the Jew Allen Ginsberg wrote a collection of so-called poetry which was greatly lauded by all of the Jewish media and academia. It contains material such as, I'm with you, Rockland, where you accuse your doctors of insanity and plot the Hebrew socialist revolution against the fascist national Galgotha. Now, that's a line from Hal, and, and basically he, he is talking about a socialist revolution which hadn't quite happened yet, and, and, and he knew it was coming. And, and to him, the fascist national Golgotha is American Christian society. What, what garbage is praised by the Jews as art? To Ginsburg, Christianity, Golgotha, and nationalism are both evil, and these are what he is railing against. A generation of Jews followed suit, and the Jewish media has praised all of them glowingly ever since, openly worshipping devils while the average American stares blindly at the television screen, getting his daily dose of entertainment. While Ginsburg may appeal to the basest sorts in society, the same mentality exists throughout academia. For instance, Barack Obama is destroying our economy on purpose. A radical pair of Columbia University professors by the name of Richard Andrew Cloward, by the names of Richard Andrew Cloward and Francis Fox Pliven wrote an article in the radical magazine known as The Nation. The article was published May 2, 1966, and it laid out what is now known as the Cloward-Piven strategy. The plan calls for the destruction of capitalism in America by swelling the welfare rolls to the point of collapsing our economy and then implementing socialism by nationalizing many private institutions. Cloward and Piven studied Saul Alinsky, just like Hillary Clinton and Obama. That's quoted from um, worldviewradio.com. It should be quite evident that ever since, that why ever since the Great Society speech was given by Lyndon Johnson, the nation has sunk deeper and deeper into socialism, which is nothing but a euphemism for Marxism. These early statements and the fact that this nation has obviously followed this path laid out by so many Jews, and I might add so many Jews from Columbia University and, and who had contact with the Frankfurt School, which came from Nazi Germany in the 30s, makes it no coincidence why we have done so. Now, now I'd like to say that they, they claim the, the, that the goal is to destroy capitalism. Mm -hmm. But the goal of Jewish-controlled Jewish Marxism is not to destroy Jewish-controlled capitalism. Absolutely not. The two finance each other and love each other. And the goal is to destroy the middle class, the white middle class. That's Ultimately, the entire white race. Well, absolutely. But to, to destroy the bourgeois, as they call it, which is yes. the white middle class. It just so happens that every white middle class person who works hard is a bourgeois pig that needs to be thrown into a gulag or outright shot. Exactly. And, and that's exactly their attitude. And I'd like to point out that Saul Alinsky, he wrote Rules for Radicals, which is basically a Machiavellian version of the Communist Manifesto, since he was basically saying that if you wave a red banner and talk about drowning the nation in its blood and killing tens of millions of people, you're never going to get into power. You have to pick your battles carefully, act like a moderate, and then only remove the mask once you're in power. Isn't that basically his theory? Absolutely. And, and let me say that from there... 
because another name associated with Saul Alinsky is Bill Ayers. And Bill Ayers got his doctorate at Columbia University. What a shock. <laughs> what a shock. <laughs> and I'd just like to point out, too, that Saul Alinsky, his original name was Saul Bagelmeister. It was that they changed the name. There's there's one more radical on my short list because I only compiled this today. This list that that has um, ties to the Frankfurt School, and and that's the Negro feminist Angela Davis. Angela Yvonne Davis is an American political activist and retired professor with the History of Consciousness Department, whatever that is, at the <laughs> University of California. Santa Cruz. She was director of the university's feminist studies department. <laughs> What's the history of consciousness? Is that what you thought about since you woke up this morning? <laughs> now, her research interests are feminism, African American studies. Here we go because this is the um, Herbert Marcuse keyword. Critical theory. That's the Frankfurt School keyword. Popular music culture and social consciousness. And philosophy of punishment, women's jails and privilege. In other words, she's a hippie radical and so, sitting in sitting in a professorship. So her head has been filled with a sewage hose, and she could tell her students a whole lot about nothing. Well, it it surely seems that way. Yeah. I mean, outside of academia, what is she qualified to do? She might work as a Walmart greeter. All right. So popular music culture, does that mean she discusses – who Britney Spears is dating, or just the, the lyrics to her songs, and how her her, her lyrics are self-objectifying to fulfill the um, the fantasy role of the male patriarch. Davis was acting as an assistant professor in the philosophy department at the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA. Uh, I'd like to point out that that's the school that Arlene Johnson is proud of, beginning yeah. in 1969. At that time, she was also known as a radical feminist and activist a member of the Communist Party USA, and an associate of the Black Panther Party. The Board of Regents of the University of California, urged urged by then-Governor Ronald Reagan, fired her from her job in 1969 because of her membership in the Communist Party USA. She was later rehired after legal action was taken. Davis was an activist during the Civil Rights Movement and a candidate for the U.S. Vice Presidency on the Communist Party ticket. Since leaving the Communist Party, she has identified herself as a democratic socialist. She was acquitted in the murder of in, in the murder of in 19, August 1970 abduction and killing of a judge in Marin County, California. Davis was awarded a scholarship to Brandeis University in Waltham, Massachusetts, where she was one of three black students in her freshman class. Initially alienated by the now Brandeis University is actually named for a Jew also. It's named for the first Jewish Supreme Court Justice, Louis Brandeis. I just had to throw that in. Initially alienated by the isolation of the campus, at that time she was interested in Albert Camus and Jean Paul Sauter. She soon made friends with foreign students. She encountered the communist theoretician Herbert Marcuse at a rally during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and then she became his student. So we see that Angela Davis, the radical Negro feminist, learned under the wing of the Frankfurt School founder, Herbert Marcuse. 
just like so many of these other radicals. Oh, and she was an honorary guest at the East German Youth Festival in 1973. And about that murder trial, the guns that were used in the murder were purchased in her name. She owned them, and they'd been purchased by her two days before the murder. And she simply said that that she didn't have anything to do with it, that somehow the guns had gotten out of her custody, out of her possession, and that some nefarious individual had taken them and gone off and done the murder, and she had not an ounce of involvement in it. That sounds highly plausible, considering that she was a Black Panther and definitely a, a, a peace-loving pacifist. <laughs> well, well, we have Angela Davis, and, and we have a direct connection to the Brandeis University and the Frankfurt School and Herbert Marcuse, mm-hmm. its founder, who taught her personally. Oh, and, and, and we have Abby Hoffman in the Chicago 7, directly tied to the Frankfurt School and Herbert Marcuse at Brandeis University. Oh, and, we, and she also... I was gonna say she on, on the ticket when she ran for vice president, Gus Hall was the presidential candidate on that ticket. And if you remember, Gus Hall is the one who said that every preacher should be strangled with the guts and intestines of every priest, the Jewish leader of the Communist Party in the 50s. And then she was also active in the People's Temple with Jim Jones. So at least she was attending church. She must have been a good Christian woman. Hmm. It, it's amazing how the entire left is interconnected. And if that wasn't enough, she's a lesbian. Well, of course she is. Uh, if you're not a omnisexual, you can't play with the Jews, I guess. <laughs> you have to be an omnisexual. Uh, the um, it, the entire left left is interconnected, and, and it's all traced back to the to these. Uh, I mean, it's not all traced back to the Frankfurt School, but they're all associated. And and the Frankfurt School had actually instructed. In the classroom, a lot of our 60s radicals, Abby Hoffman, Angela Davis, Bill Ayers, and Allen Ginsberg, only being – they're, they're only examples, but they're pretty prominent examples. And mm-hmm. and this is only scratching the surface. Absolutely. Maybe we should get Arlene on here and ask if this is one of her professors from her college days. Herbert Marcuse. <laughs> or Angela Davis. Well, it probably is. I mean, she was there when Arlene was there, evidently. She's the head of that department. Yes. And I'm sure Arlene would have nothing but nice things to say about this woman. Oh, I'm sure Arlene just fawns over her. And and that's why I I know she's poisoned as soon as she told me she went to UCLA. Hmm. That's where she got all all of her Marxist rhetoric from. Okay, I'm about um, talked out for tonight. I, I mean, we could start with um, next week with Kevin McDonald and an, an analysis of his analysis at the Frankfurt School. All right. One, one final thing, though, on Wiki, it says that when Angela Davis was at the University of Frankfurt, presumably in the 60s, I believe, she had a stipend of only $100 a month. Could you imagine in the 60s the government just giving you $100 a month while she was also being housed? So that's in addition to them providing her housing. They make it seem like she was impoverished. Well, she was a yeah, she was a poor black woman. She could never get a job at Walmart. Just, just a hundred dollars a month in the sixties. No. <laughs> how, how, how did that she survive? That was a lot of money in the nineteen sixties. Now, now I remember clearly nine being nine years old. My mother would send me down to the store for a quarter milk for a quarter milk. Mm. And you know how much it cost? Eleven mm. cents for a quarter milk. 
So $100 for a month was a lot of money in the 1960s. And she was given it free by the German government, mind you. I remember being in second grade and taking a dollar to the pizza parlor and getting three slices. And and I was a fat little slobby kid. I could eat all three of them, too. Hmm. All right. So shall we end on that note, then, and just have people tune in next week at the same time on the same channel for installment number two? Absolutely. The Frankfurt School and Kevin McDonald. All right. Praise Yahweh. Yah bless.